The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, uh, Francis Schaeffer, the 20th century Christian philosopher and theologian and um, Presbyterian pastor, he, he used to say that how we view the world can be summarized with two chairs. He said in the, in the one chair sits the man or the woman who views the world um, strictly through what can be seen, what can be tested, what can be touched, what can be observed, uh, scientifically proven, if you will. He says it's to, it's to view the world naturalistically. He says in the, in the other chair sits the man or the woman who views the world not only by what can be seen, but also by what is unseen. It's to view the world, from this chair, is to, to view the world naturalistically, yes, but also supernaturally. And Schaefer, as a good you know, philosopher, is careful to say <laughs> both views can't be correct, right? One is true, one is false. He says, if indeed there is only the, the, the natural position in, in the world, the natural portion of the world, if that's all there truly is, to sit in the other chair is to delude yourself. You're deceiving yourself if you sit in the supernatural chair, if there really is no such thing as a supernatural half of the universe. If, however, there really are two halves, two halves of reality, natural and supernatural, to sit in the naturalist chair would be to be extremely naive and, and actually to, to misunderstand the universe completely. Now, as Christians, we, we'd all agree with the truth that the supernatural exists. You can't be a Christian to deny that, really. But Schaefer would say the naturalistic view is, is always trying to creep in. It's always trying to, to dominate. Even amongst us as Christians, it's always, it's always jockeying for position in our lives. It's, it's all around us in, in the world, and, and everything in the world is in on the conspiracy. Now, listen, we, as, maybe as Christians, you hear that, and, and you say, well, that's fine. I still know what's true and what isn't. I know what to believe. And yet, just having the right beliefs isn't enough, is it? It's never enough to merely agree with right doctrine. No, in order to live the Christian life to the fullest extent, we're to, we're to live this out in practice. It's actually to, to change how we live. We must live it out in our actual lives. And that's actually what the book, the Old Testament book of Habakkuk is about. Habakkuk, is, he's the next of our minor prophets in this series this summer. Um, he lives somewhere around the end of King Josiah's reign in Judah, most likely after Josiah's reforms in Judah. This is the late 7th century, okay? And so the, the northern kingdom of Israel has already been attacked and exiled by the Assyrians. That happened in what year? We ought to know this by now. What year? 722, 722 B.C. But the southern kingdom of Judah, it's still intact, and somewhere between the tail end of Josiah's reign and, and the full ascension to power of the Babylonians, right, who would eventually come, they'd conquer the Assyrians, they'd replace them as the regional superpower, okay, including attacking and exiling God's people in Judah and the southern kingdom. Somewhere in there, at the end of Josiah's reign, maybe just after Josiah, Habakkuk lived and ministered. 
It was, again, another time of, of covenant unfaithfulness on the behalf of God's people. And, and here's, here's Habakkuk, right? A, a godly man, a, a faithful man, a man passionate about God and, and right worship. He's, he's familiar with the Psalms. He, he knows the Torah, right? He, he, he knows the history of God's people, and he's into liturgy and praise and, and worship. We see that in how he writes here. But he also, he looks around at Judah, he looks around at God's people, and he's frustrated. He's frustrated. And not at God's people, per se, though I'm sure there was some of that. He, he's at, Habakkuk is actually a man who's frustrated at God. He says in the opening of the book, essentially, <laughs> aren't you going to do something about all this? It's a lament. Habakkuk, we see him, as we read, we see him turn to God. That's the first element of lament. We see him complain to God. He even uses that word in chapter 2, verse 1. This is my complaint, he says. Complaint is the second step of lament. We see Habakkuk ask questions of God. That's the third step of, of lament. Asking God, more specifically, asking God to act in line with his character. And eventually we see Habakkuk trust. That's what a biblical lament is, is all about, actually. It's a prayer of pain that leads to trust. And we, we see Habakkuk move from his frustrated, agitated state and complaint, right, to, at the end, a settled trust in God. <laughs> and what's, you, what's unique about Habakkuk's lament is that we actually get to read God's answers in here, too. Um, that's part of what makes Habakkuk unique amongst the Old Testament minor prophets. And instead of speaking to the people on behalf of God, what we see in Habakkuk is him speaking to God on behalf of the people, on behalf of himself, first and foremost, the righteous. And there's a dialogue. In fact, tracing the dialogue helps us to see the, the outline of the book, which help you read the book, right? Well, I'll, put, I'll put it to you this way. In chapters 1, 1 through 4, we see Habakkuk's lament. That's his first complaint that he offers up to God. And then in verses 5 through 11, we see God respond. And then for the rest of chapter 1 through the first verse of chapter 2, Habakkuk, he's lamenting again. And then we see for the rest of chapter 2, God's response. All of which is then followed by chapter 3, which is Habakkuk's praise and prayer. Now, we can put a little bit more color on that because Habakkuk does, right? That's just a boring outline. Let's, let's put a little more color on that. Habakkuk, his first lament, he's essentially looking around at his circumstances. He, he's viewing them, we might say, naturalistically, to use Schaefer's term, and he cries out to God, don't you care? Like, don't you see what's going on here? Aren't you going to do something about it? And then we get God's response. And God's response is a little bit colorful. He says, I am doing something about it. Actually, I'm raising up the Babylonians. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, he says. And they will be my ministers of justice. To which Habakkuk responds, you're doing what? <laughs> and God's response it comes again with more detail this time, explaining what he's doing, what a generous, <laughs> what a merciful God for him to explain to Habakkuk what he's doing. To which, in chapter 3, Habakkuk, our godly, faithful man, passionate about God, he responds in praise, in prayer, and trust. As we look at this together this morning, it really gives us a, a blueprint of what it looks like to walk by faith with God. 
to put into practice our belief in both halves of reality, natural and supernatural, in a way that truly makes a difference in our life, not, not just intellectually, but truly. True spirituality, Schaefer would say. Transformational Christianity is how I would put it. And in order to see all this, we're just going to walk through the text together this morning. So open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, or reopen them if you closed them, to Habakkuk. You're going to want a hard copy of God's Word in your hands this morning. If you're in the Pew Bible, it begins on page 785. Page 785, beginning in Habakkuk 1.1, we read, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now listen to Habakkuk here. He's crying out to God, and he says... How long? In other words, this probably isn't the first time that he's come to God like this. He's saying, hey, hey God, it's me again, Habakkuk, remember me? You know, uh, I've been here before, bringing this to you before. When are you going to answer me? How long shall I cry for help? How long should I cry to you. There's a motive language that's used here, isn't there? Habakkuk isn't just coming to God with intellectual doubt. This comes from the man's heart. He's crying for help. This faithful, passionate follower of Yahweh is crying out to God for help. He's looking around at his fellow Israelites, and he's a little bit disgusted with what he sees. He sees the iniquity amongst God's people. He sees the injustice, the destruction, the violence, the the strife and contention, it says. Sounds a little bit like 2020, right? He sees all the wickedness of his day, justice being perverted, and he says to God, don't you care? Now, if you're not a Christian, doesn't this resonate with you? I mean, even if you're not following Jesus, don't you love that this is in the Bible? I mean, Habakkuk doesn't look around and say, oh, well, it is what it is, you know. No, he looks around at the brokenness of the world, the wickedness and the division of the world, and he says, God, do something. He expects something better. He, he expects something different. He, he expects God to care. Doesn't that resonate with you? I mean, aren't, if, if you're not a believer, aren't you, aren't you tired of resigned cynicism? It is what it is. What's done is done. You know, whatever happens, happens. You know, it's like, as if we just say it twice, it makes it better. It doesn't. My guess is if you're not a Christian, part of the reason that you'd be here this morning is because you're tired of all that. You long for something better, and what I want you to hear is that that's a, that's a good instinct in you. It was a good instinct in Habakkuk. It's a good instinct in us, and Christianity says there is something better. God does care. He absolutely cares. You look around at all the wickedness and the injustice, God cares and has promised to make an end of it. And while we wait for that to be fulfilled, 
it's okay if we cry out to him about it. Now, that's helpful for Christians too. I mean, it's refreshing, isn't it, to hear Habakkuk talk like this? I mean, you felt that way before. You can admit it. I know we're in church, but you can admit it, right? You've looked around the world or your life and had the passing thought, does God even care? I mean, if he did, wouldn't he be doing something about it? Habakkuk tells us here, it's okay to wrestle like that. It's okay to to bring that to God. And you, you don't have to pretend that you never struggle with doubt. And you don't have to pretend that it's only intellectual when you do. This stuff hurts. It's confusing. And it breaks our hearts, and sometimes we just need to cry out to God, How long? How long shall I cry to you for help, and you won't hear me? How long? You can talk to God like that. You can turn to him and complain. He can take it. I mean, look, Habakkuk didn't get struck down by lightning. (laughs) He he didn't get divinely tased. I mean, there wasn't even a TVA agent sent to prune him from the timeline. No, you can turn to God and complain to God when you don't understand what God is doing. You can. But (laughs) you must also be open to hearing his response. Look at verse 5 in chapter 1. God responds to Habakkuk saying, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. If I were you, I'd underline that in your Bible. I'd underline it. This is not an unfamiliar refrain in the scriptures. God talking like this. He, he talks like this in Isaiah 55, where God speaks through the prophet to say, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We see it at the end of Job, where, where God questions Job, maybe with a little bit of sarcasm even, right? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Huh? Were you there? I don't remember seeing you there. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Or the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, where he says, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. For who can know the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told, God says to Habakkuk. Listen to how Francis Schaeffer says this. He says, being a a biblical Christian means living in the supernatural now. Not only theoretically, but in practice. If a man sits in the, the one naturalist chair and denies the existence of the supernatural portion of the world, we say he is an unbeliever. What shall we call ourselves when we sit in the other chair, but live as though the supernatural were not there? Should not such an attitude be given the name Unfaith? Unfaith is the Christian not living in light of the supernatural now. 
and we all do it. In fact, Schaefer would contend that much of the, the unhappiness and the frustration and the agitation and the angst that we feel in the world as Christians is due to the fact that we actually vacillate back and forth between the two chairs. That's what Habakkuk was doing. He's vacillating. Remember, he's a faithful man, a, a, a godly man, a passionate man. He knew all about God. He had good theology. If, if asked on a test, true or false, God is sovereign over everything. He, he'd check true every time. Every time he checked that box. But he wasn't living as if it was true. He ventured over into the area of unfaith. And we all do it. We all vacillate between the two chairs. What does it for you? What, in our world, causes you to doubt the reality or the character of God? What is it that you see... What is it that you have experienced that causes you to say, God is not all-powerful? If he was, then... Or, God isn't good. If he was, he wouldn't... How are you tempted to fill in the blanks for God? When do you find yourself in the chair of unfaith? Habakkuk found himself there, and when he found himself there, he cried out to God. Is that what you do from that chair? Or do you resign yourself to maybe a half-hearted spiritual cynicism saying, it is what it is. Whatever happens, happens. What's done is what's done. Who knows if God is powerful and good? Who knows? Listen, if that's you this morning, turn to him. Turn to him. Bring your complaint to God. He can handle it. Bring it to him. Now, as you bring it to him, you might not like his answer. Habakkuk didn't. Look at the response as he continues in, in verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Now the, the Chaldeans, that's another name for the Babylonians in the Old Testament. And, and God goes on through the end of verse 11, re reminding us just how dreaded and fearsome they truly were. Right? More fierce than the evening wolves. Wolves by themselves are supposed to be scary, I guess. Evening wolves are supposed to be really scary. They're, they're, they're more fierce than the evening wolves. Flying like eagles, swift to devour, coming in violence, verse 9. Gathering captives like sand, it says. This is God's response when Habakkuk complains to him, aren't you going to do something, God? I mean, Judah is a mess. It's filled with injustice. Aren't you going to do something? And God says, yep. I'm going to raise up and send in the Babylonians. To which Habakkuk responds, Are, have you lost your divine ever-living mind? <laughs> like, what? Look at verse 12. He, he says, are, are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. Like, you can't kill us. Like, we're your people. Remember God? Oh, Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. You, O rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why? 
Why do you look idly? Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, talking about Babylon, brings all them up with a hook and drags them all out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet and rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to just keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing the nations forever? This is Habakkuk saying, why would you do it that way? <laughs> or, or even, do you know what you're doing? Our 13-year-old, Lydia, when she was five, she was the best backseat driver there was, or the, or the worst, you know? And when she was five, anytime we'd go somewhere that we'd been before but went a different way, you know, like, hey, we're going to go to Target. And uh, we go a different way than we went the last time, or cut through the neighborhood or something. She, in the backseat, she would say, Dad, are you sure you know where you're going? <laughs> right. That's sort of the picture here. From the peanut gallery in the back seat, Habakkuk asks, do you even know what you're doing, God? You're going to use them? You're going to use them to judge us? They'll kill us all. Why would you do that? Why would you use the super wicked to swallow up us who are less wicked than them? Like, I know we're wicked, but we're not as wicked as them, so why would you use them to swallow us up? We're talking about the Babylonians here. We're, we're your people, remember? We're, we're going to be like fish in the sea to them, verse 14. They're not going to spare us. They're, they're going to they're drag all of us up, the righteous and the unrighteous. They're going to drag all of us up in their net. They're going to conquer us all. They're going to rejoice and be glad. They're not going to do justice they're not going to be discerning and they come, when they come in to conquer. They're not going to be nuanced in who they kill and haul off. This is Habakkuk saying, if you do it that way, God, we're doomed. And then he ends here in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Which is Habakkuk's way of saying, to God, mind you, say something, I'm giving up on you. And God, in his grace and mercy, he responds saying, my dear Habakkuk. His name, by the way, means embrace. That's what Habakkuk means, perhaps representing God's gracious and merciful embrace of him and therefore us, or perhaps it's our key to embrace the goodness and power and sovereignty of God or both. But God says to Habakkuk, come over to this other chair. Have a seat. Write this down. And the write it down part is important, okay, because what God is about to tell Habakkuk is going to take some time to fulfill. Writing the vision, make, making it plain on the tablets, was to create a record of God's revelation to Habakkuk that could be later told and untold in later generations as it unfolded. 
And so he says in in verse 3 of chapter 2, For the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The the full fulfillment of this would not be realized for a few more generations. But, But it's as good as done now, God says. Wait for it. Wait for it. Those might be, those might just be the three most important words for you to hear this morning. And I suggest you underline them. Wait for it. God is good. God is powerful. He is carrying out his perfect plan. He works all things together for good for those who love him. And if it seems slow, wait for it. I heard a pastor friend um, one time say that his Catholic priest friend told him that as Protestants, we're far too impatient. He said, you Protestants think in terms of years and decades, but as Catholics, we view things in terms of centuries. (laughs) There's a sea of wisdom in that little shot glass of a statement. And so if it seems slow, wait for it. A doubting Christian. God's goodness has not soured. Suffering saint, his power has not weakened. You belong to him. He'll bring it all to pass. He can and he will complete his good and perfect purposes even if that expands beyond your own lifetime. Which is really important, you know, not just for us to hear as Protestants, but it's really important for Habakkuk to hear too. Remember, he's concerned with the Babylonians. <laughs> That's an eminent threat. Like, they're going to come and indiscriminately wipe us all out, he says, the wicked swallowing up the righteous. To which God replies famously in chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. God knows the Babylonian's heart. He, he, He gets it. He knows. He sees it. The righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Say that with me this morning. The righteous shall live by faith. Underline that in your Bible. You know, the Apostle Paul quotes this not once but twice in the New Testament. The first time is in Romans 1.17 where he says, In the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith, for faith, for, or because, the righteous shall live by faith. That is a jumble of words. And when we get into Romans 1 this fall, we're going to unpack that a whole lot more. But he also quotes it in Galatians 3.11. makes it a little more clear where he's saying that no one is justified. Okay, and that word, it means counted right before God. right? Counted as one who is right before God in good standing with God. No one is justified by keeping the law, but by faith. For, he says in Galatians 3.11, the righteous shall live by faith. And then once more in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews quotes it. And the context there is Endurance. Endurance. 
And he writes, for you have need of endurance. And everybody in the room says, amen. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. In every case, immediately here in Habakkuk, but also in each instance in the New Testament, God is saying the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will be saved by faith. The righteous will be delivered by faith. In other words, the righteous are those who sit in the chair of faith. Who look upon the world and acknowledge both halves of reality like we talked about. Sure, there's the natural world and we should observe and learn and be wise and gain understanding. Sure, there is violence and iniquity and strife and contention and the Babylonians and scary stuff and COVID and job changes and church drama and baggage and parenting challenges and all of it. But there is also the supernatural world where God is seated on his throne. You can't see it but it's as real as everything else. And what it looks like to live by faith is to, day by day, life instance by life instance, moment by moment, or every hour as we just got done singing, trust him. Trust that he is at work. Not just to make you happy, healthy, and wise. This isn't a prosperity pep talk. He's at work fulfilling his grand purpose. As you read through the rest of chapter 2, you get the prophetic word of woe that will later come upon these Babylonians that Habakkuk is concerned about. In poetic justice form, God promises that he will plunder the plunderer, he will shame the haughty conqueror, the, the builder's building will become fuel for the fire, and the one who forces the other to get drunk will drink from the cup of God's wrath. <laughs> In other words, to quote our prophet Nahum from last week, <laughs> He will by no means clear the guilty. And then right in the middle of all this, he proclaims, chapter 2, verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Those verses are underlined in my Bible. This is God saying, I still am who I am. I still am who I am. I haven't changed. My purposes haven't changed. The end for which I created the world hasn't changed. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It will and if we're tracking with Habakkuk like we ought to be, our response at this point in the book ought to be the same as his. Praise, prayer, and trust. Look at the beginning of his prayer in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. And in wrath, remember mercy. 
This is Habakkuk saying, let it be so, O Lord. Work out your purpose, even if it takes years. And as you bring deserved wrath, remember your mercy. The rest of chapter 3, all the way down through Verse 15 is this poetic psalm-like celebration then of God's past victories as the divine and sovereign warrior that he is. Weaving together praise to God and his dominion over the chaotic waters of creation. Causing the sun to stand still in Joshua. God can do that. Appearing at Mount Sinai in poetic descriptions of how he worked in the time of the Exodus. Habakkuk reflects upon who God is and what he's done. He, he sees God at work supernaturally in the world and, and the present circumstances that he can naturally discern and see become eclipsed by the supernatural circumstances that he can now discern and see. And from the chair of faith, he says in verse 16, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness entered into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. I will wait for it, he says. I will endure it. I will trust you. And then he sings. He sings to God, beginning in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. This is a poetic way of saying, even if I have no idea how I'll survive, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy. In the God of my salvation. He, this is Habakkuk saying, I'm not just going to grin and bear it. <laughs> I'm not just going to suck it up because God is sovereign. No, true spirituality, transformational Christianity empowers us to live even while we wait with joy. With joy. How? Well, verse 19. Because God... The Lord is my strength. He's my strength. I haven't summoned up strength from my, the deepest parts of who I am. I dug deep and mustered up strength. God is my strength, he says. He makes my feet like the deer's, giving me sure-footed confidence. That's the imagery. He makes me tread on my high place, keeping my head above the waters. This is what it means to live by faith, friends. Like Habakkuk, even when we live in a present evil age, we live in our age by faith. Faith, we're told in, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we can't see. Are you sure of what you hope for? Certain of what you do not see? You know, about a half moon after Habakkuk, wickedness and injustice were again flourishing, or we might say still flourishing in different degrees and ways. 
And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had come. The Savior. The long-awaited one. And yet, he had been betrayed, arrested, falsely tried, and now crucified. From the cross, he would hear the taunt, where's your God? He's so powerful, why doesn't he do something? If you're so powerful, why don't you do something? You think you're the God? You think you're the Messiah? Come down from there and do it. (laughs) And when God didn't deliver him, when he breathed his last, when it seemed that that evil had triumphed. God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. If it seems slow, wait for it. My friends, the resurrection of Jesus is God's proclamation that he can be trusted and evil will never triumph. When you have eyes of faith, to sit in the chair of faith and see the risen Jesus, the ascended Jesus, no matter what comes your way, even if you have no idea how you'll survive it, you will rejoice in the Lord and take joy in the God of your salvation. Habakkuk, my friends, is a blueprint for what it looks like to walk with faith in God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now, not with a head full of information, but with perhaps hearts full of questions. There are those in this room who have probably come in here with questions and uncertainties and doubts and fears. Others that have come in here with health struggles and pain, maybe all kinds of baggage. Maybe even someone has come in here today and they are, they are ready to give up on you. Vacillating between the two chairs, tempted to park themselves in the naturalistic one as they lose track of you ruling and reigning in their lives. Please pray this morning, Spirit. Like, Spirit of the living God, would you move in them right now and would they turn to you? You allow the the words of your word, your your word to Habakkuk, to give voice to their complaint even. How long? Don't you care? Coax them, Spirit. Back to the chair of faith with your words of reassurance this morning that you are doing a work in our days that we would not believe if told. And God, for anyone that's maybe sitting in that chair that they know they're supposed to be sitting in, because we're good Christian folk and we believe in the supernatural, but maybe they're living with unfaith, would you minister to them in this moment? If your good work and your good will and purpose, if that seems slow to them, Lord, would you help them as they wait for it? It will surely come. Even if that coming surpasses their lifetime, you are good. And you work all things together for good for those who love you. <laughs>
And so by your Holy Spirit living in them as those who have been counted righteous by their faith in Christ, would you guide them into living by faith? Lord, the righteous shall live by faith day by day, life instance by life instance, moment by moment. Lord, we trust you. To be filled with the vision of your earth, being filled with the knowledge of the glory as the waters cover the sea. And would they take rest in finding peace, knowing, trusting, you are in your holy temple. You are not silent, you are not sleeping. You're working it all together for your purposes. Be our comfort, O Lord, as we quietly wait upon you. Be our joy, our strength. Give them a sure-footed confidence like the feet of a deer as we leave here today. Because of Jesus. We pray in his powerful and good name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.